Good morning, church. Good morning to those online joining us from near and far. Good morning and hello, my name is Forrest and I am having a bad hair life. (laughs) It was not always this way though. My 10th grade English teacher once paused in the middle of class, looked at me as if she had never seen me before, and said, Forrest, you have such beautiful hair. I remember my cheeks turning red and the roar of the laughter of my classmates and me sliding down in my seat wishing I could disappear. Those beautiful follicles began to abandon me only a few years later, the traitors. (laughs) And I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but I prayed not to go bald. (laughs) Yeah, I actually prayed not to go bald. I have to think God got a kick out of those prayers. Then in my late 20s, I was so far gone, I found myself faced with the question that pro sports teams ask themselves when they're building a new stadium. Should I go with artificial turf? (laughs) The answer to that question is always no. (laughs) Hello, my name is Forrest, and I drive a 2010 Mazda 6 with 264,000 miles, now on its second transmission that runs only because I am blessed to have a friend who is first and foremost a good, servant-hearted man, but also a brilliant mechanic. The car isn't exactly the kind of thing you'd want to show up in for a first date. For one thing, it's missing the right front hubcap. When you work two jobs, you like to go to concerts and musicals and live sporting events. Replacing a hubcap isn't high on your priority list. There are a lot of things on that car that are there that I wish weren't. Rust spots, for instance. My parking, the parking lot in my apartment complex is underneath a crown of trees. Lately, my black car has had a top layer of yellow pollen, but that's not all. Birds love those trees. <laughs> and apparently, birds love to use my car for target practice, if you know what I mean. I am eagerly awaiting the torrential Florida rains of spring and summer. Mother Nature's great free car wash. (laughs) Hello, my name is Forrest, and I live in an apartment the size of a Taco Bell dining room, maybe even smaller. My son was in town visiting me this weekend. Friday morning after grabbing coffee, we got back to my place, and I was putting the key in the lock. I said in my best announcer voice, welcome to the stately Tampa mansion. Tours daily from 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. and 30 seconds. With the exception of a reclusive woman who lives down the hallway, everyone else in my building is young, like really young, just starting out in life. When I run into them for the first time in the hallway or the laundry room, I wonder if they think, that bald guy's my dad's age. (laughs) Or maybe in some cases, that bald guy's my granddad's age. (laughs) I just smile and say hello. And think to myself, I had that much hair one time. (laughs) Hello, my name is Forrest, and I am God's prized possession. And so, too, are you. You and me, we are so much more than how we look, or what we have, or where we live. But we have been conditioned over the course of our lifetimes to measure our value on scales such as these. Catholic priest, author, and theologian Henry Nouwen wrote of the five lies of identity. I am what I have, 
I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. I am nothing more than my worst moment. I am nothing less than my best moment. To Nouwen's list, we might also add these lies of identity. I am how I look. I am my relationship status. I am how many followers I have on social media. Which identity lie are you struggling with? I would be surprised if anyone here is not struggling with one or maybe more. And if you aren't now, then good. But if you are, I hope to get you to a place where you will no longer struggle with those lies. Quite simply, we have fallen for the lies the world tells us about who we are and what we are worth instead of embracing God's truth about who we are and what we are worth. Hear these words from the New Testament book of James, the first chapter, the 18th verse. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. We gaze at stars with wonder, yet we are God's prized possession. We breathe deep the stunning sunrise, yet we are God's prized possession. We marvel at the majestic mountains, yet we are God's prized possession. We stand in awe of the mighty seas, yet we are God's prized possession. The Gospel of Matthew tells us about a time when a Pharisee tried to test Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied like this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We may try hard to embrace the great commandments to love God and love others. While totally missing or dismissing the part about loving ourselves. Or put another way, we may try hard to value God. And value others, all the while devaluing ourselves. We may not even stop to consider that Jesus' answer to the Pharisee offers an implicit expectation that we have healthy self-love, healthy self-value, healthy self-worth. A daily battle rages inside of us every day. Whether to believe God's truth that we are irreplaceable and of great value or to believe the world's lies that we are easily replaced and not replaced and not worth much. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Keeping with that theme and the theme that I've brought to you here today, I believe we must wake up each day determined to embrace the truth of God instead of the lies of the world as if nothing had yet been done. But it is not easy. We are bombarded by the lies from our very earliest days. Not long ago, I watched a video of a speaker who was uh, in front of an elementary school audience, and he stood before those students and with much enthusiasm said, 
I see a room full of doctors and lawyers and engineers. I understand it was his way of encouraging the students to aim high with their education. But not everyone wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Not everyone can be. And certainly not everyone was created to be. Simply put, the world assigns each of us value based on what we do. The second of Nowen's identity lies. What's the first thing someone asks you after you introduce yourself to each other? What do you do for a living? Imagine if we offered this answer. I value people. What if our life's work, regardless of our vocation, was to go about our daily living treating everyone who crosses our path as valued? Value judgments are made from the very earliest stages of a relationship. And if they're not on based, based on our occupation, then sadly they're often based on our appearance, our race, or our gender. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was devalued by so many because of the color of his skin. Yet he spoke of seeing the image of God even in those who hated him who saw him as less than. King was among the giants of our faith. He didn't just speak of valuing all people. He lived it and he died it. He was murdered in Memphis, where he had gone not for a gala event with the rich and the famous, but rather to support the protest of sanitation workers. King was far more interested in keeping up with Jesus in keeping up with the Joneses. Without question, we are conditioned to make value judgment based on worldly measures, and it's made worse because we failed to heed the Apostle Paul's urgent plea to the Roman church not to copy the behavior and customs of this world. King once said this, We are prone to judge success by the index of our salaries or the size of our automobiles, rather than by the quality of our service and our relationship to mankind. Worse still, I would say, we are prone to base our value on such things as these. The first of Nowen's identity lies. How many shiny things do we have? How many more shiny things can we afford to purchase? We lose our way when we try to keep up with the Joneses. Because when we are following their path, we have strayed from our own. We are following them, not following Jesus. Rob Bell created a powerful series called Numa. Its name coming from the phonetic spelling of the Greek word for wind and spirit. In his name video, Bell speaks against a backdrop of people who are peeling off layers of t-shirts. Each of those shirts has a label on the back to represent how the world identifies that person. The labels include everything from their occupations to types of housing, their education levels to personality types, to the challenges they face in their daily living. In the end, each person has stripped away all of his or her shirts to reveal a bare back with the word name written across it. It's a symbolic journey to becoming comfortable in our own skin. At one point in the video, Bell says this. We need to be saved from all the times we haven't been our true selves. All the times we've tried to be someone else. 
all of the lies we've believed about who God made when God made us. All the times we've asked the wrong questions, what about him or what about her? And we've missed the voice of Jesus saying, you, follow me. Surely I would say this as well, much of our identity crisis, our human tendency to believe the lies about who we are and who we aren't, is chained to the past. Don't look back, the rock band Boston saying it's 1970s hit. I remember that playing on the jukebox in my high school lunchroom. It occurs to me now, a lot of people here might not even know what a jukebox is, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Yet we do look back. Even though this, we cannot change one thing about our past. We still look back. We, maybe we've traveled a road littered with broken relationships or choices we wished we had not made. And we won't leave them there. In my favorite book, The Alchemist, author Paolo Coelho writes, When you can't go back, you have to worry only about the best way of moving forward. If only it were that simple. Even the great Rabbi Harold Kushner, best-selling author, beloved rabbi, profound influence on so many people, isn't immune to this. He wrote in his book, How Good Do We Have to Be?, of his struggles with trying to understand why we remember all the times we messed up, even just a little bit, instead of the times that we've gotten life right. Kushner says this, God does not stop loving us every time we do something wrong, and neither should we stop loving ourselves and each other for being less than perfect. I'm going to read that again. God does not stop loving us every time we do something wrong, and neither should we stop loving ourselves and each other for being less than perfect. It is a right and good thing to work on becoming better versions of ourselves. For each of us in Christ is a work in progress. It is wrong and bad to endlessly compare ourselves to others. In his book, 12 Rules for, for Life, Jordan Peterson offers three rules that are especially helpful as we try to better love and value ourselves. Treat yourself like you are someone you are responsible for helping. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And make friends with people who want the best for you. To put it in the context of my message, make friends with people who value you. There are many people in this room that make me smile just to see them walking into my presence. And I believe there's some people online who are doing the same. They value me and they show it through their actions. One of them is my friend Keegan from Noah's Landing who's not with us this morning. On Sundays, when I go to pick up the group to attend this worship service, and Noah's friends, we're so glad you're here and you're a part of our family. When I go to pick them up, Keegan can't wait till I get to the pickup spot. He meets me on the road as I'm driving up in the bus. I throw up in the doors to our bus. He walks up the steps, stops before taking a seat, and almost always, from what seems to beat at the bottom of his heart, says, Forrest, I have missed you. We need more Keegans in the world. 
Be the type of person who not only has a healthy value for yourself as God's prized possession, but commit to valuing everyone who crosses your path that way as well. But a warning. We must guard against relying on the love and affirmation of others to see our own value. Because for every Keegan, there are countless others ready not to build us up, but to tear us down. Author and motivational speaker Zig Ziglar rightly said, your value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see your worth. Your value doesn't decrease based on someone else's inability to see your worth. Likewise, when we struggle, when we struggle to see our own worth, that doesn't decrease our value either. On Friday night after walking out of a concert at Amelie Arena in Tampa, I got the devastating news that my dear friend Tommy Trammell had died suddenly from a massive heart attack. He had just turned 58. Among the many tributes posted on his Facebook page was one from a woman who had known him only a few short months. In it, she wrote, His infectious smile, compassionate nature, and enthusiasm for life were remarkable and will always be remembered. I was impressed early on with his gift of making people feel at ease, welcomed, and valued. And when I saw the word valued, and I've been working on this message for so long, I was like, I might break down in tears thinking about Tommy, but I've got to honor him by saying that. What a legacy to be known as someone who valued all people. In the summer of 2021, Tommy reached out to me about extra tickets for the season-opening football game between Clemson and Georgia in Charlotte. A proud Clemson alum, he had three extra seats for that game and said he would love for me and my two older children to join him. Clemson versus Georgia was huge on the national stage, huge. But Tommy valued our friendship in giving me the gift of time with my children and with him over the substantial amount of money he could have made selling those tickets. The death of his body has shaken me, but it has also made me even more determined to live my life with greater urgency, seeking to better value myself and to treat everyone who crosses my path as valued. During this season of Lent, if you've been with us here at First United, you know that the pastors have considered the people that Jesus met on the way to the cross. But in preparing for this, God placed it upon my heart to remind each of you here not to forget the who, but the the why Jesus walked the road to the cross. Jesus walked that road to wash us clean of our sins, to free us from the chains of past transgressions, to give us the gift of eternal life, and to drive home the truth amid all the lies that we believe about ourselves that we are God's prized possession. Jesus did not die for the sun or the moon or the stars. Jesus did not die for the mountains or the seas. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. 
Now and wrote this. Jesus came to share his identity with you and to tell you that you are beloved sons and beloved daughters of God. Just for a moment, try to enter into this enormous mystery that you, like Jesus, are the beloved daughter or beloved son of God. This is the truth, now and said. Furthermore, your belovedness preceded your birth. You were beloved before your father, mother, brother, sister, or church loved you or hurt you. You are the beloved because you belong to God from eternity and always. Remember who you are and go from this place with these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.